This is going to be the ninth message I do on the Love Walk. Not sure how many I'm going to do. When I first became the pastor of this church, I taught on the love of God for the first three entire years. So I don't. I doubt if I'll do that much at this point. But uh, nevertheless, we'll see how far the Holy Spirit takes us. But the point is, the reason is rather that the entire book is this message of Almighty God to planet Earth, to the people, to His family. And it's love's message, everything. Everything in the book has something that has a tie back to the love of God. Even his great wrath against sin is because it's so anti-love. But nevertheless, let's pray. I want to get into some things quickly today. Father, again, I give you thanks, Holy Spirit. You are the teacher of the church. We give you all the praise and all the honor and all the glory for sending us Jesus Christ to redeem us through your love, to buy us, to purchase us back into a place where we have absolute harmony with heaven. Incredible. Harmony with heaven. Father, we give you thanks for it. We give you thanks for your word because we know that it is anointed. It can change anything and everything that it continues to be applied to. So this morning, as we look afresh into your word, we thank you, Holy Spirit. Would you breathe on this? Would you cause it to come deep into our spirit, man? Would you help us be transformed as we incline our ears unto your sayings? In Jesus' name, I thank you for this, and I give you praise. Amen. Okay, well, again, we're going to, like I said, talk about this, but something the Lord spoke to me um, just the day before yesterday. Again, I wrote down a note here. You know, like I said, to know love is to know God. Now, again, this is so simple that people misunderstand it because of its simplicity. To know love is to know truth because God is truth. You can't, you can't separate the two. Where love is, where God's love is, there's truth because God is love and God is true. So the thing is, as you begin to develop your walk in God's love. See, you're actually learning to walk in His truth. And what that translates into is as you mature in this, you become ever so aware of what might not be true. In other words, your sense of what is right and wrong begins to increase, and you begin to recognize something. This isn't quite the love of God. In other words, you learn to be a bit cautious uh, when you deal with people, I'm sure you have, we've all met people, and yes, we're to love them. I'm not contradicting what we're teaching. But, you know, you can just sense there's that lack of something there. And, again, that's what love begins to do. It helps you to really learn to discern situations better because love is truth. And to know love is to understand and know truth. And to know truth means you learn how to better recognize anything that's false. So this is why, again, the development of God's love and really seeing the depth, like it says, the length, the height, the depth, the breadth of the love of God. I mean, that we might be filled, remember, with the fullness of God, with the fullness of who He is. That means the ability to see everything as it truly is. My gosh, we need that in our decision making. We make that. We need that in every area of our life. Another thing I remember the other day, um, I was reminded of something Dr. Cole used to share with us. That's so true. He said, "You must understand why we must teach the grace of Jesus Christ to the body, 
He said, because one thing you have to know, where there's much law, listen to this statement, I love it, where there's much law, there's little love, but where there's much love, there's little law. Did you hear that? I'm going to say it again. Where there's much law, there's little love, but where there's much love, there's little law. In other words, like I always tell our people, we are always going to err on the side of grace because we are in Jesus' name going to believe the best. We want to give people chance upon chance upon chance like God gives to us in his great, great abundant mercies. But if you ever walked into church, you know, and you just have this sense, oh my God, I better not make any mistake. I mean, everybody's like, in other words, where there's much law, where there's all kinds of structure to the point that there's legalism actually in this in the atmosphere. And you can sense that. In other words, there's a lack of love. In other words, this is why, you know, we ha our church back in the States, I we had people walk in, bikers, you know, trying to uh, blow our minds, stuff. The guys come in, women coming in half naked. You know, they'd come and just bounce down and sit on the front row because they thought they were going to shake us up and, and you know, make, make some big... Uh, drama happened in the church. But thank God, I sat under a pastor back in those days and eldership that, you know, we understood, they, they taught me more and more about the love of God. And we learned how to just bless and praise and welcome people. There wasn't a lot of law. And suddenly these people began to be transformed because they saw we were not judging them. We accepted them. And something I've said all of my Christian ministry that God said to me way back when, he said one of the hallmarks of Jesus' ministry is the word acceptance. You sensed acceptance when you got around Jesus. You never, ever sensed rejection. He didn't accept sin, but he accepted the sinner. God who justifies the ungodly was in Christ his son who loved the ungodly. And see, this is who we are. We're called to walk like he walked. Again, Ephesians 5.1, our base scripture. Be ye therefore imitators of God, and copy him, and walk in love, even as God loved us and gave himself for a sweet-smelling sacrifice for us. It's incredible. So to walk in love is to walk in truth, and to me that's phenomenal. Now I want us to um, go to Romans 12, and we're going to begin to just walk through all the epistles, basically all of them, and I want you to catch just how everything deals with like our relating to one another with kindness and everything. I mean, kindness is an incredible, kindness is a language in and of itself. You can sense kindness. You can sense what's behind words. One person can say, make a statement, and it cuts you deep. Another person can make a statement, and it just brings you a conviction of, of, of the love that they have for you. It's all because of what spirit it comes from. Do you hear me? See, the same words can be spoken by two people, but the spirit within them can dictate the impact of the words spoken. Hallelujah. Uh, There's an old illustration many, many years ago I loved. There was a speech class, and there was this old man in the class and a young guy. And this young guy had incredible gifting and talent in the ability to speak, you know, just to, to, to form words and to form sentences and to speak. And they were both given a psalm to read. They were given Psalm 23. And this young guy got up and he quoted Psalm 23. And I mean, he did it with passion. He did it with real inference upon each aspect of the scripture. The Lord is my shepherd. 
I shan't want. You know, he really put himself into it. And everybody applauded him and applauded him and clapped. Then this old man got up and he began to share and he just quoted the same scriptures slowly. And the people, instead of clapping when he finished, everybody in the room was tearing up and crying and weeping. And this young man said, I don't understand. What, what's going on here? I read this thing perfectly and got applause. Why is everybody crying when this man spoke Psalm 23? And the moderator told the young man, he said, well, sir, he said, the difference is, he said, you know the psalm, but the old man knew the shepherd. Did you catch that? In other words, he was sharing because it came from his spirit. And that's something that, again, as you walk in the love of God, you begin to sense the spirit. Love is the spirit. The Holy Spirit is love. Oh, I pray you catch this, because, again, this is what defines anything and everything about us as truly being followers of Jesus. By this they shall know that you're one of my disciples by your love one for another again. Amen? Isn't that powerful? Turn to Romans 12 with me, if you would. I'm going to read from the Amplified Bible, and I'm going to start in verse 9, basically all, go all the way through the rest of the chapter down to verse 21. Very, very powerful stuff. Again, we're going to start here at verse 9. Hallelujah. Now listen to this. Paul says, let your love be sincere, even in that the sincerity. The Bible says we ought not, we shouldn't offer up to God, it's called feigned, F-E-I-G-H-N-E-D. Don't offer up to God feigned obedience. In other words, just something that's just, I'm going to do it because I'm supposed to do it. Paul says here, let your love be sincere. And then it goes on to say, a real thing. Well, of course, but don't watch this. Let your love be sincere, a real thing. Hate what is evil. Loathe all ungodliness, turn in horror from wickedness, but hold fast to that which is good. And even with that, I could go through every one of these verses. Years ago, I taught at a conference, and uh, some people asked me what I was going to teach on, and I said, I'm going to teach on perfect hatred. And the guys looked at me and, you know, got really concerned, and I said, no. <laughs> I was trying to talk about how this issue is, how God taught me back then. You need to really learn how to do this, how to hate sin. And I asked him why, and he said, because if you don't hate it, you'll play with it. And it really struck me all those years ago. So here's what Paul's saying. He said, let your love be sincere. And part of your love being sincere is you learn to hate evil. And again, it just means you just recognize it and despise it and you see it for what it is and you say no to it. And all of this is again because your love's real. Your love's sincere. So let me keep going. Verse 10, again, love one another with brotherly affection as members of one family, and we are one family, giving precedence and showing honor, showing honor to one another. When's the last time you actually honored your neighbor in church or honored your neighbor, honored your spouse, honored your children? I mean, to really honor them. I and mean, all of this has to do with, again, this is the nature of God coming out of us. Verse 11, never lag in zeal and in earnest endeavor, but be aglow and burning in the Spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoice and exult in hope. Be steadfast and patient in suffering and tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Now, verse 13, I may try to share uh, more about this in this particular message. He says this, verse 13, contribute 
to the needs of God's people, sharing in the necessity of the saints, pursue the practice of hospitality. He said pursue, and it means to go after strongly, to pursue the practice of hospitality. I'm telling you, if you really study the scriptures, when you find people that have this truly hospitable attitude towards strangers and towards people in general, you'll find the blessing of God is right there with them. Hospitality. Pursue the practice of hospitality. Now, I'm just going to go on and keep reading because I want to then come back to this. Verse 14 says, Bless those who persecute you, who are cruel in their attitude. I know none of you have ever had anybody be cruel to you in their attitude towards you. But the word of the Lord tells us to bless them. Why? Because it's the power of blessing that breaks the power of cursing. Bless those. See, you can allow it. You can add to the curse by entering into cursing them back, to railing back. Jesus railed not back at those who railed against him. Bless those who persecute you, who are cruel in their attitude toward you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, share others' joy, weep with those who weep. Now, verse 16 says, live in harmony with one another. Hallelujah. Would that we all actually did that. You know, Jesus, his main prayer in John 17 was that we might be one, that we might really, really grasp what it means to be one. one we're one spirit with the Lord. He's one spirit with us. This is the, the miracle of what God has done in the resurrection of Christ and him being in us, the hope of glory. He said, so, but people would fall away from this. They didn't know the, the truth of the love of God. So here he says again, live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, snobbish. We've all met the people that just, you know, they just carry with them as it were a bit of an air of superiority. You know, I, I love you, but I just want, want to make sure you understand. I have just a little bit more knowledge than you do. <laughs> you know what I mean? That, air or something. Again, you begin to sense that and you can realize, well, praise God, you know, you don't reel back, you don't judge them, but you recognize it and you learn from it. I'm not going to be that way because it is not Christ-like or love-like. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, snobbish, high-minded or exclusive, but readily adjust yourself to people and things, and give yourself to humble tasks. Readily adjust yourself. I've always loved that state, that phrase. Readily adjust yourself. Are you, are you able to make adjustments quickly in given situations so that you don't panic or become fretful or become upset or become angry or irritated? You have to learn to readily adjust yourself to people and to the things, the situations that occur. And he says it again, and he says, and give yourself to humble tasks, and he says, never overestimate yourself or be wise in your own conceits. And again, like I said, each of these verses we could take out into much, much teaching. Verse 17, of course, repay no one evil for evil. And again, we've all, man, somebody hurts you and you want to get back at them so bad you can taste it. We've all been there. But again, this is where I'm going to obey God. I want to obey God. I want more and more of his fullness. 
I want the length and the breadth and the height of the depth that work with. I want to be rooted deeply in love and my foundation deeply in love that I might be filled with all the fullness of God. So I refuse. You, that's what you have to do. It's not that you don't want to, but you don't. You choose. I will not repay evil to someone who's been evil to me. Repay no one evil for evil, but take thought for what is honest and proper and noble, aiming to be above reproach in the sight of everyone. Of course, verse 18, I've already spoke to before, if possible, if possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. And I'm going to repeat what I said before in prior lessons. As much as it depends upon you. In other words, you are not responsible for someone else's actions, but you are responsible for you. So as much as it depends upon you, you live at peace. Make the decision, I'm going to be at peace with you. You can stay angry if you want to and see you can't, you know, you cannot force somebody to forgive you. You can't force somebody to, to give up anger, what have you. But you can have responsibility for yourself. And this is why I continue to say to me, the love of God is the greatest discipline you will ever, ever undertake because of the things that will. And let me tell you, Satan will do everything he can to get you to violate the love walk because he knows one step out of love is a, love, is a step out of, into darkness. Remember, I taught on that a few weeks ago. One step out of light is a step into darkness. And he that walketh in darkness stumbles and does not know where he's going. So his big deal is to find any way, where can I manipulate this man, this woman, to just get into strife, get into anger, to be upset, continue to stay irritated, be unforgiving, hold that, hold animosity in their heart. And you say, no, no, in Jesus' name, I'm going to live at peace. I'm going to live at peace. You may not, but I'm not responsible for you. And then verse 19, he says, beloved, never avenge yourself. I, I think never possibly means never. Never avenge yourself, but leave the way open for God's. It says God's wrath. But I like to read it. Just leave the way open for God. The moment you try to avenge yourself, I think you shut the door to what God can possibly do in the situation. Did you hear that? So never, beloved, beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave the way open for God's wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, the Lord says. He says, that's, that's my department. I'll take care of somebody else's wrong. It's not your job to try to make somebody else pay for their own mistakes. I will handle that in the way I will. And of course, he's love. And then he says in verse 20 and 21, but if your enemy is hungry, you all know this verse, but does he actually mean this? Of course he does. If your enemy is hungry, your enemy, your enemy, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. Why? For by so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. See, God evidently believes that his love and action will impact people who don't, know, who don't yet know it. I mean, he knows it will. It'll stop people on the tracks. He said, don't, don't, don't. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If your enemy's thirsty, give him drink. 
for by so doing, you'll heap coals of fire on your head. Now, there's an old joke was told years ago that one of my spiritual fathers used to tell. He said he was teaching on that about how by doing this, he'll pour coals of fire on his head. And he said, I, I spoke this one morning. And he said, this elderly lady come up and she said, does that really mean that? And he said, well, God said it. I, mean, I guess it does. She said, well, maybe I'll try that. She said, I tried hitting my husband over the head with a frying pan. And that didn't work, so next time I'll try burning coals. <laughs> and the guy, well, well, I didn't know, yeah, ma'am, that's not exactly what it means. But anyhow, humor. And then the final verse says again, we, said, we spoke to this again a while back, do not let yourself be overcome by evil, but overcome and master evil with good. Man, you need to sit back and think and meditate on that for about five years. We can master evil. The Word of God, which is anointed, written as man was moved upon by the Holy Ghost, said, don't let yourself. See, in other words, you just give up and get angry. Don't let yourself be overcome by evil. But overcome, master, master evil with good. You know why? Because good is more powerful than evil. Okay, but now I, I want to jump to this issue where it said again to pursue the practice of hospitality. And I want us to go back to Genesis 18, right starting in verse 1 about Abraham. It's incredible when you read this. Uh, so let me start. Genesis 18:1. Now the Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks or the terebinths of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men stood at a little distance from him, and he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground. Now, he's going to learn that two of these are angels that are going to wind up going to Sodom and Gomorrah, and one of them is, of course, the angel of the Lord, the Lord himself incarnate, but he doesn't know this yet at the time. But think about this. He's sitting at the door of his tent. Now, remember, Abraham, at this point, is one of the richest men in the known world, particularly in that area, if nothing else. We know that. He had, I don't remember, it was 384 or 386 trained servants. He had masses of cattle, masses of sheep, masses of farmland. He had incredible wealth and riches, right? I, he was like the man. He had all of this strength about his, his everything. He, God had prospered him so mightily. But I want you to catch this issue of how of the kind of people that God uses, what God looks for. You know, there's only two things really in Scripture. There's, there are more, actually, but there are only two major things that we see about why God chose Abraham. And one was that he said, I know him, that he will teach his children and his children's children. But the other big issue is the spirit that he carried of how quickly he was to be obedient to what God told him to do, you know, as with the possible sacrifice of his own son. But also it's this issue of the spirit that he carried, this hospitality that we see portrayed so graphically here. Now watch, now think about it. You've got 300, if, let's say you the master of a great estate, right? I mean, one of these huge, beautiful estates, manor houses in the British countryside. You've got 300 servants, you know, Downton Abbey, <laughs> but far, far bigger. You've got 300, over 380 trained servants. And you walk out and you happen to see somebody out by the drive, out by the front of the drive, by the big trees and by the gate that comes in. Instead of saying, oh, James, go see who those people are. <laughs> no, you see, catch this. I know it sounds humorous, but catch it. 
Abraham seizes people, verse 2. He runs. He. He doesn't send a servant. He runs from the tent door to meet them, bows himself to the ground, and says, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. I beg of you, let a little water be brought, and you may wash your feet and recline and rest yourself under the tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread to refresh and sustain your hearts before you go on further. And again, he does not yet know. If you study this, he does not yet recognize that they're angels. They have not revealed themselves as this. Remember, angels... Again, like I said, angels come often in the form of human beings. He said, and I will bring more. And they replied, do as you said. So verse 6, so Abraham hastens into the tent to Sarah. Didn't go to one of the maids. How many maids do you think Sarah had if they had 384 trained servants? But instead he goes to Sarah. See, she carried this as well. Quickly get ready three measures of fine meal. Need it, bake cakes. And Abraham, Abraham, again, didn't say, Billy, go run to the herd over there and pick out a cow. Abraham ran to the herd and brought a calf tender and good and gave it to a young man to butcher. Then he, the one guy butchered it, but then it says he, Abraham, prepared it. Uh, see, can you read between the lines and see what I'm getting at about hospitality? This is one of the greatest men on the planet. He's got all these servants. Again, I keep saying that, but I want you to catch this. He could have just asked any of these people to do it, and they would have hastened to do it because he's their chieftain. But see, he carries this in his own spirit. A man God chose who changed the entire world by making covenant with him was a man who just had this thing in him about being hospitable to strangers, about being about just a kindness, see the love of God at work in him, and just and, and, and yet another expression. And it says, Then he, Abraham, hastened to prepare it, and he took curds and milk and the calf which he had made ready, and he set it before the men, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Now think about that. To me, see, that's a phenomenal representation of this. He, again, I, I know I'm repeating myself, but my gosh, if you catch us with all of this massive wealth and everything he has, he doesn't send anybody else to do this job because he's a servant. Like Jesus was a servant. Like you and I are to be servants. We're to help people. See, you don't send somebody else to do what's in your spirit to do because it's much easier it's 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 excuse me let me put it this way it's very easy to as it were command somebody that knows they need to be obedient as opposed to doing something because it's the nature that you carry so here's this thing pursue the practice of hospitality let's look at some other verses real quick for a close luke 14 this is jesus this is the king james this is luke 14 12 through 14. then said he also to him that bade him when thou makest a dinner or supper call not thy friends nor thy brethren neither thy kinsmen nor thy rich neighbors lest they also bid thee again to come and a recompense be made you in other words you get paid back for the kindness you showed them but when you make a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, 
and thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee. In other words, you hear what he's saying? You'll be blessed when you carry within you this understanding. I'm going to bless these people knowing full well they will never be able to bless me back. In other words, I'm not doing it so that I can get something. I'm doing it because this is what God does. He blesses us. He justifies ungodly people. He loves the ungodly. Amazing. Again, then he goes on saying, Thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee, for you will be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. Man. See, Jesus is sharing, he's teaching, he's discipling his disciples. Again, he comes back to this. It's going to be by this. It's going to be by this kind of love, by this kind of spirit, that they're going to know that you're one of mine. Hallelujah. Father, help us nurture this in our own lives. Pastoral epistles in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, Paul says, A bishop then must be blameless, a husband of one wife, vigilant, sober of good behavior, given to hospitality and apt to teach. Given to hospitality. Do you see, these are some of the errors that people make in, in uh, appointing leadership, if you can catch this. One of the things that as a spiritual leader that you need to look for is, do they have this sense in them? I don't believe this. Is, you know, do they have this... this uh, Attitude of gratitude. Do they have the sense of doing this? Then he talks about widows, 1 Timothy 5.10. He said, they must be well reported for good works. If she brought up children, if she's lodged strangers, if she's washed the saints' feet, if she's relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. But again, if she has lodged strangers. Do you catch that? Those are the ones who God sees that are true. Men and women of God. And then, of course, Hebrews 13, 2, one we all know, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels, angels, unawares. Do you realize how often God possibly has set us up to be kind to someone we, have no, we don't know who they are at all, meet them at a store while we're shopping, and you just have that sense to be kind for them, pay some of their bill, do something? See, God, how many times do you think God may have set you up to be, as it were, a blessing to an angel because he wants you to get blessed from heaven? He wants to see. Is that in you? Are you ready to do that? Are you ready to be a blessing, you see? But then uh, the final thing I want to read is in 1 Peter 4. To me, this is amazing. 1 Peter 4, verse 7. It said, now listen to this. It says, but the end and the culmination of all things has now come near Keep sound-minded and self-restrained and alert, therefore, the practice of prayer. But listen to verse 8 and 9. Above all things, all possibly means all, above all things have intense and unfailing love for one another. Intense, in the King James says, have fervent love. And I want to speak something to that real quick. Have Intense and unfailing love for one another because love covers a multitude of sin. It forgives and disregards the offenses of others. See, that's something you need to care them. When somebody hurts you, just make that choice. You know what? I'm going to disregard that. It's covered. Because God's love in me is at work. I'm not going to be made to, I'm not going to be made to step into the evil. I won't do it. 
Then verse 9 says, practice, and it is a practice, practice hospitality to one another. Those of the household faith in particular, be hospitable, be a lover of strangers with brotherly affection for the unknown guests, the foreigners, the poor, and all others who come your way who are of Christ's body. And in each instant, do it ungrudgingly, cordially, graciously, without complaining, but as representing him. Hallelujah. You see what he's looking for, for the attitude there? To be, as it were, qualified, as it were, to, to be a disciple of Christ. This is a major part of this issue of hospitality that, you, you know, some people are just natural. Now, again, some people may not have as a world. You say, well, I don't have a house big enough to, quote, unquote, entertain anybody. Well, you may not. But can you carry that spirit regardless? Like I said, you can find a way. In other words, it's talking about the law of kindness again. And like I said before, kindness is language. But I want you to catch this one thing that I finish with. In, in, in verse 8, it says, above all things have intense and unfading love. And again, in the King James, that says fervent. You know what that word fervent actually means? It's the word extenes. It's I think it's X-T-E-N-E-O-S. And it means hot to boil. It means literally to boil to the point of like boiling water. It says your love is supposed to be fervent. Think about, get the picture of boiling, boiling, fervor. Your love is to be fervent. Are you boiling? Is it to the point that there's all just the love is just boiling on the inside of you? Because that's what our God is. He's boiling over. Boiling over with love for you and for me and for the whole world. And I say again, for the ungodly and the unjust, he loves them and he's waiting for you and I to show that kind of love to them. Remember, no man hath at any time seen God, but if we would love one another, God would dwell in us. In other words, the only way the world's going to see him is when they see him in us. So really put this to heart today and think about it all during the week. Pursue the practice of hospitality. Love one another with a pure heart. Love fervently. Father, I give you thanks for this in the mighty name of Jesus. And I pray that you help us, help us, help us discipline ourselves towards this incredible truth of your word. In Jesus' name.